This is Emmanuel Today, taking steps toward God's possible in your life. On today's program, we begin by asking some questions. What motivates you? What drives you to action? It's really important to keep your life in perspective to what is most important. Let's join Emmanuel now for a message entitled, Compelled by Love. Here's Dr. Nate Roosh. The title of my message is Compelled by Love. To set you up, I want to just consider the question of what really motivates you in life. What's the most important? What drives you to action? Is it really important to you? And if it is, you do something with what's important. So I want you to consider today that in our lives as we grow up, we grow up with certain right and wrong systems. What we do with our time, what we do with our money, what we do with our efforts, our relationships, with our free time, what we do with our schedules, all of those things kind of begin after we're born and we are trained by the world around us, we're trained by our families, we're trained by the schools, and we kind of go into the normal mode of what they say is important. But there are moments when those normal old world ways need to be interrupted. And that interruption is saying something is more important. Something is more valuable. When Jesus came to the earth, he introduced the kingdom of heaven. And it was an interruption into the normal course of being for everyone around him. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to see that Jesus talked about something called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. That was meant to come in and bring something new and different to the world that was around him. It says in verse 35, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Now you see in this text here is Jesus when he came, he was going from town to town. And how many know the kingdom of God is on the move? The kingdom of God is not stationary, it's not stuck it's in motion. It's always in motion. It's never done. It's always reaching new people. The kingdom of God comes into places unexpected. It's not reserved only for one geographical location or time and place. It's not just for Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. It's also for people everywhere. And the kingdom of God moves from town to town. It goes from Spring Lake Park to Fridley. It goes to Blaine and Lionel Lakes. It goes into Champlin Park and, and Brooklyn Park and Minneapolis and St. Paul. It goes all the way up to Forest Lake and all the way east of the Hudson. Come on, somebody. It reaches even Iowa. Let's go, somebody. It goes all all over the place it's on the move and everywhere that Jesus would go he would turn what the devil meant for evil to good everything that sin had destroyed Jesus steps in and he begins to heal the sick you know sickness was not God's plan it is the result of sin on the earth he came in to mend those things which were broken he brings 
peace to those that have no peace. And it says in the scripture here that it, he did it because he had compassion for them. He had compassion for people. He cared about people. I will never forget when I was a youth pastor here at Emmanuel. I was in my mid-20s. And uh, we had brought a group of Argentine revivalists to the church. And those revivalists were pretty incredible. Used to speaking to crowds of tens of thousands of people and seeing God do amazing things. And so one of those revivalists was a guy named Carlos Anacondia. And Carlos did not speak any English, but I was his Uber driver from staff for the, for the trip. And so I got to pick him up from the airport and bring him to his hotel, and then he was to preach at the church. Well, I didn't speak any Spanish, so we had a missionary, missionary Mike Shields, that took me with him. And so Mike is up front. I'm in the, uh, I, you know, I'm, Mike ended up driving the car, and I ended up being in the back seat. I'm like, okay, whatever you say, Mike. Mike is very much in charge as a missionary. He's used to being in charge. So while they're, we're all the way from the airport to the hotel, they're speaking in Spanish. I have no idea what's going on. No idea whatsoever. I was just like, thank you, Jesus. This is a good day. You know, I'm sure it's good things. I'm sure they're not talking bad things about me. You know, all those kind of things. But we get to the hotel. I carry his bags up into the room. And I'm like, I'm going to take advantage of this moment. Carlos is a man of God. He's been used to see people delivered and healed all throughout the world. And so I'm like, I'm going to have that guy pray for me. And I, I, so I said to Mike, I said, hey, before we go, can you have Carlos pray for me? He said, sir. So Carlos puts his hands on my head, and he speaks into one ear while Mike speaks the interpretation into English in the other ear. And he begins to pray, and he says, Lord, give this man great compassion so that he can heal the sick. And what he was speaking of was really what we see here in the text. It was Jesus' compassion for people that drove him to step out and change their story. It was the compassionate heart of Jesus that led him to step into the story. Now, I'm grateful, by the way, for that prayer. And I've kept it in my head and my heart. That was in my mid-20s that the Lord would always keep my heart compassionate for people, to never feel like um, I'm hard or callous towards needs of people around me. It says in the text there in Matthew as well that Jesus saw the people as sheep without a shepherd. He was concerned that they were randomly being destroyed by the things going on around them and they did not have a leader. I don't know of a generation that is more out of control than this one. Right and wrong, up and down, identity issues all over the place. And everybody thinks they can do what is right in their own eyes. Harkening back to Judges, the book of Judges. And they're, they're kind of out of control. How many know when you don't know what to do, sometimes you do stupid things? Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many of you have done stupid things. But the reality is, is that when we don't have guidance and we aren't following good leadership, we're not following good teaching, we're not giving good direction, we do stupid things, and there's a fallout of pain from that. Perhaps you grew up in dysfunction. Your mom or your dad or whoever it was that was you're around you in the family, they didn't tell you the right way to handle money. And then years later, now you're in trouble with debt and credit card issues because nobody trained you how to handle money. 
I'm not getting very many amens in the house this morning. <laughs> this is what I want you to know. God is not mad at you because you are in trouble. He's not upset with you. He sees you as a sheep without a shepherd. And God wants to step into your story in your pain, maybe a dysfunction in your relationships or how you handle your time, or maybe you have difficulty in your marriage or how you get along with other people, and you think the whole world is mad at you because you never learned what it seemed like other people learned in other families. And I want you to know this is when Jesus comes to your town and the kingdom of God is on the move and he's interested in your story and he is a shepherd to his sheep. Come on, somebody. He actually cares about you. And Jesus includes others in the responsibility of announcing the good news of the kingdom. Because if you notice, he says to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. In other words, Jesus isn't just doing all the shepherding himself. He has enlisted you and me to be a part of his story. We are, a, we are a part of bringing his kingdom to the world that is around us. And I believe that the kingdom of God is still good news, that Jesus still has compassion. In Romans 10, 14, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? You see, it's kingdom in preceding kingdom out. You can't give the kingdom away if you don't have the kingdom in you. You don't give away the way of Christ if you don't have the way of Christ in you. We need to see the kingdom as valuable. We need to embrace the kingdom above everything. Matthew 13, Jesus is talking about his kingdom, and this is what he says. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in a field. And in his excitement, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. So this is what Jesus says the kingdom is like. If you want the kingdom in you, let's look at what Jesus says about it. He says it's like treasure. This guy that he's talking about, we don't have that person's name, but this person finds a treasure in a field. Apparently he didn't own the field, so he was just working. I don't know if he's walking along and he just sees it. I don't know if he's digging the ground and finds it. We don't know exactly how, but he didn't earn it. It wasn't like he, he got it for his, all of his hard work. He just kind of happened upon it. How many of you know that's just the way it is for us with the kingdom of God? How many here earned Jesus' love? None of us. We don't deserve his love. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. How many know if we were really to share who we really were, people might not like us sometimes. But how many know the grace of Jesus drove him to the cross, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is the most amazing gift, treasure in all the earth, that Jesus counts you as his valuable treasure. That he died for you and for me. He called us sons and daughters. We're adopted into his family. Sitting next to you is a son or a daughter of God. It is unbelievable, that treasure. And the person next to you is unbelievable too. It's unmerited. But once it's discovered, 
it is worth selling everything to buy the field. Once it's discovered, it's worth selling everything to buy the field. In a sense, Jesus is saying, it is greater than anything. Finances, our property, our time, our identity, our notoriety, it's greater than that. And when you don't have anything, that's easy to understand. But when you have things, that's more difficult. And when you have a title, when you've accumulated finances, you've accumulated houses and cars and stuff, when you've got a reputation, that's really cool. And it's more difficult when you have more to sell it all. But Jesus says, everything you do have is small in comparison to how amazing the treasure is. And the kingdom of heaven is greater. And I want you to consider this. If you're born into systems of values in America, you're born and you have to interrelate to the economic system that we have. Thank the Lord that we're uh, free to worship Jesus in modern day America, amen? That we're free to do that, that we're not being hauled off to, to prison because of our Christian faith or anything like that, we're free. But also we have laws in the land and there's a way you do things. You see a kingdom has a way that kingdom things are supposed to be done. And in that kingdom, you have to live according to that kingdom's rules. You and I, we're raised in our parents' kingdom first. They tell us what we can and can't do. They tell us what's important and what's not important. I'm sure somewhere along the line, the reason that I still like the Michigan Wolverines is because I was born into Ron Roosh's kingdom, right? His rule and his reign, and it became a part of my thinking process. Well, there are a lot of things that we have because of our family of origin or the story that we came out of. Even our dysfunction is a part of our operating rules. We're told this is what you do in order to get this. You be nice to people, they might be nice to you back. Maybe you were trained on how to be prompt and on time. You were never allowed to be late as a kid. And that really helps you when you go into employment, right? But maybe it was the opposite of that for you others where you were not trained basic rules of how to be a good employee. And you've had to learn a different way. So if you tell your boss, Hey, I'm sorry, I'm just that kind of person. I don't show up on time all the time. How many know the boss's kingdom is gonna be the one that wins? So the reality is for you and I, we come up in those kingdoms, the pathways of doing things, how we spend our time, how we spend our money, what gets an okay and what doesn't. That's our kingdom. Jesus is saying, whatever your kingdom is, it's worth selling it all to come and follow this kingdom that I'm now bringing to you. The what's right, what's wrong. The value systems. I'm giving you a new kingdom, a different kingdom. I'm bringing it to you. And the way that the kingdom is secured, like the treasure, it is secured through surrender. You get his kingdom by selling what you have and leaving that and following a new way. The exchange has to take place. You get God's kingdom when you let go of the old kingdom. 
It's not, well, you get to keep whatever you're doing and however you're doing it, and then you just add a little bit of Jesus in on Sunday morning, and it'll all work out. No. If you're battling anxiety and you're battling frustration in your relationships, if you're having a difficult time in your marriage, if you can't get along with your parents, hello, or you can't get along with your kids, or you can't get along with anybody, and you want to say, Jesus, give me peace. I'm full of anxiety. He will say to you, are you taking your attitudes and, and filtering it through what the word of God says, where you are to love your enemies? Not call them out on social media. See, you want his peace, but you got to exchange and surrender to his kingdom in order to get that peace. You want to hold on to your sin and say, well, I can sin and still get God's joy and peace and love and kindness and his favor. I'm just telling you, friends, it doesn't work that way. You have to give your sin up and embrace God's way now in order to get the peace that you so desire. You have to let it go. I want you to consider how amazing this kingdom is. What was it about Jesus as we read about him that caused people to leave their jobs and as fishermen or tax collectors and follow him. It was so compelling that they had to follow him. What was it about Jesus that threatened religious people so much that they got worked up enough to kill him? What was it about Jesus that made him a magnet for kids to run to him? What is it about Jesus that drove very successful national leaders to approach him under the cover of night? What was it about Jesus that led women to feel forgiven and given dignity for the future like the woman at the well? Jesus was contrary to the kingdom of the age. And everywhere he went, he flipped the tables and people wanted to be in with him. It was Jesus that turned Saul to Paul in a lifetime of service, even though he faced persecution. This week, as I was praying for you, I felt that the Spirit was drawing me to ask you, church, to seek the king of the kingdom, to recognize in an age and a day when every other kingdom is calling out to you, to remember to shut those kingdoms down and lean into the voice of the king of the kingdom, to recognize Jesus is valuable, that nothing in life has meaning without him, to understand that Jesus is not only important, but the most valuable treasure in your life. Without him, everything is temporary. Everything is empty. Everything is lost. We can lose sight of Jesus and not care. It's as if that little boy, Ethan, is out there and is lost, but we aren't ready to stop and leave everything to go find him. The psalmist said, my soul searches for you and thirsts for you like a deer for water. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And Paul said it this way after he was Saul to Paul and had been serving Jesus for a long time in Philippians chapter 3. I once thought that these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ. Say that with me. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him sharing in his death so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. Paul went through a rearrangement of his values. He once thought certain things were valuable, and now he lived in a new kingdom, a new system. Jesus' kingdom was more valuable. It was infinitely more valuable to him, and he discarded everything else, and that's when he says, I want to know Christ. Today, I want to offer you a deal on a treasure in a field that you didn't earn. You can see the temporary kingdoms of the age around you. And I want to challenge you to let go of the temporary that is so tired and empty and to renounce its hold on you, to redirect your attention to the value of the Savior. I will never forget, and I'll continue to talk about this until Jesus comes back. So you'll hear my testimony over and over and over again. But the time that I got saved, saved, you know, there's a difference between getting saved and saved, saved. I, the time I got saved, saved was between my junior and senior year of high school. In my heart, I knew all the religious stuff. I had grown up in a godly home, but my heart was following other kingdoms. Other things were getting my attention. I wanted to be like all the other kids at school. I wanted to do what they were doing. I wanted to get the girls like they were getting the girls. I wanted to follow their way. And so there was a tension, a tug of war, if you were, will, between me and the kingdoms of the age around me. We went on this trip where the bus broke down on our way to Cedar Point in Ohio, this big amusement park. We spent two days in a city that we didn't anticipate spending time there. And while they were there, the youth group went into the church that we were staying at while the bus was getting fixed, and somebody went to the piano, and we began to worship. And my heart was so hard to God, I didn't want the worship. I didn't want it. it. Made me uncomfortable. I'm like, oh, geez, we're gonna worship. I don't know if any of you have ever said that. And then something happened because Jesus stepped into the room, and God began to show up. And I sat there and I cried for a couple hours. Because Jesus became real to me, and his love came so strongly into me that I just bowed my knee and I kept repenting of every sin I had done and how my heart was away from him and how I wasn't choosing him, I was choosing other things. And it was beautiful because I didn't initiate it. Jesus came after me. Come on, somebody. We didn't initiate it, he came after you. And when he did, 
I remember it began to change how I saw the world when I returned. And I started a Christian club that fall, a prayer group at my school. And I started thinking different about my story. And, and then eventually I came to Minneapolis to go to North Central University. And, and while I was there, I, I volunteered at Emmanuel. And, and I remember that there was a new group of people in the season of college where other values were kind of calling out to me. And not every student at the school was after God. They were there and they were going to school for whatever reasons and there was a tug of war again that I began to feel in my soul. And I remember going to the back prayer room on the third floor of Carlson Hall in the back stairwell and closing the door and just beginning to rock and pray and go, Jesus, I can't feel you in the middle of this part of my story. I don't know where you are. I feel lost without you. And I remember beginning to pray and go, Lord, I can't make it without you. I need to know you're in this with me. And I would hear the whisper of heaven. That whisper kept me going and I volunteered and I stayed close to his voice and eventually God hit me over the head with the greatest gift ever when Jody said yes to being married to me. And now all of a sudden we're married, but you know what? I needed Jesus to be the center of my marriage. And there's a fight for that to happen. You see, the, the, the day and age that we live in isn't built to help marriages succeed. It's trying to get us diverted in our attention, to be hateful to one another, to get caught up in things we ought not see, in pornography and other things that are out there. And I had to fight to stay close to Jesus and know Christ in the middle of it so my marriage could last. Then we had little kids come up into the home and it got busier and busier over time. And some of you that got little kids, I understand. It's like you're running from thing to thing to thing to thing. And everybody else is telling you, you got to go take your kids to this choir thing. And you got to take them to this athletic thing. And oh, you got to take pictures. Of this. Oh, you got to go to the apple orchard. Oh, you got to go to this. You got to get the Insta photos so that you're a good enough family. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. But you don't measure up to everybody else. And pretty soon you're following the voices of the culture around you when you should be able to still be able to bow your knee and say, Jesus, I want to know you in the middle of this story. I want my kids to know Christ. I want him to know them and them to know him. And today I can tell you this, in my story, I still am fighting because over time I've added education and I've added promotions and jobs and my career has gr grown and my income has grown with that. And you know what? That's really cool. It's a, it's a result of faithfulness and God honors faithfulness and he promotes faithfulness and, and I believe that it's a biblical thing. Don't be afraid of God giving you more. But I will tell you this, the more you have, the more difficult it is to fight to make sure that you're, you're still going after that treasure in the field. Would you give all up the titles, all the money, all the resources, because you got to know Christ. That's the most important thing in all the earth. Thank you for listening to Emmanuel Today. You can learn more about the various ministries that Emmanuel offers and see Sunday services live every week. Check out emmanuelcc.org for details. Please be sure to tell others about this broadcast that they could enjoy next week at this same time.